on the wrath of God, I want to take you into what is the very nature of God, the perfection of His nature. When we talk of the wrath of God, we don't have to be embarrassed about it. We don't have to minimize it or kind of be secretive about it. The very wrath of God is the holiness of God. It is the attribute that describes His perfection, His completeness and His wholeness. And so, I want to share with you this one fact that there is no lack of perfection in any realm of God. Is God perfectly holy? Is He perfectly? Is He holy to perfection? Is He loving to perfection? Then is He just to perfection? In His character, He is absolutely perfect. And so there is no perfection less than another. God can't be perfect love and not be perfect righteousness or holiness. All right, One does not minimize another or cancel another out. He is perfect in His being. Therefore, His judgment is perfect. His judgment is therefore right. Can you get that? His judgment is therefore right. He cannot leave one sin unpunished. What kind of a judge would judge one sin or one violation one way and then let someone else get away with it? What kind of a judge would that be? An unjust judge. But God is perfect in His judgment. He is flawless in His perfection of righteousness and holiness. Therefore, there is no sin that can go unpunished. If He leaves one sin unpunished, why not leave two? Why not leave three? Why not leave some sin unpunished? He cannot in His perfection and His holiness and in His purity. He is perfect and unflawed judge. So wrath is therefore consistent with goodness. Is God good? Is He righteous and just? Then His goodness must call all unrighteousness unto judgment. Would you agree with that? Then we've just put all of ourselves under that judgment. Haven't we? Because there's none righteous, no, not one. But His goodness demands for justice. How many of you have been wronged and wanted justice? It's innate within our being. We all want justice. We all want, remember you learned it when you were two years old, what's fair. My kids learn mommy, daddy, and that's not fair. All in the same week. Right? That's not fair. He got more than me. That's not fair. He gets to go to sleep later. That's not fair. That's not fair. We all use it, don't we? We all have an innate sense of what is right and wrong. Every culture, every civilization had some kind of a law code based on conscience that was put within there from the very character and nature of God concerning what is right and wrong, what is just. And if he is good, he must be just. If he's not just, he's not good. And if he's not good, he can't be loving. You can't have one perfection without the other. Goodness cannot ignore that which is deservedly needing to be judged. Goodness can't wink or neglect that. Can I put it to you biblically? God hates sin. 
God hates sin. A.W. Pink said this, A study of the concordance will show that there are more references in Scripture to the anger, fury, and wrath of God than there are to His love and tenderness. Does that make God less loving? No. It makes Him perfect. Because if He is so loving, He cannot stand that which is destroying the thing He loves. Does this make sense to you? And so sin and death is absolutely a cancer that is destroying the object of his affection. And so in the perfection of his love, he must be wrathful against the object of sin. Sin is destroying us all. Sin is the only thing that God did not create in this realm of earth. His holy wrath is perfect and His anger is perfect. He hates sin. Sin has no right to continually rape God's good intentions for His creation. If there's anything, God has been so patient with His wrath to allow this level of sin to continue. Some say if God's a good God, why would He not come and rescue those who are perishing? He did. We'll get to that in a minute. But some say, if God's so good, why is there such evil in the world? Because He's patient to let you live. If He were to begin to bring His wrath on one sin, two sins, three sins, then He better bring it on all. If He's going to be fair and just. Right? Some people came to Jesus with this question. They said, Jesus, how is it that God would allow those who were coming to offer their sacrifices at the temple for the for the guards to come kill them. It was an event in contemporary history of Jesus where there was a revolt and people, the Jews, came to bring sacrifice and the guards killed them. They were trying to honor God. How could God allow this? And they also said, and there were others who were coming to a place and a wall fell on them and killed them. How could a good God allow this to happen? And Jesus said, thank God it wasn't you. That was his answer. I'm paraphrasing. You should thank God that it wasn't you. Does anybody not deserve death? We all deserve death. We all deserve the judgment of God. Thank God He's sustained and held off His wrath because of His goodness so that more may be saved. Now, we're all going to have to stand and give an account to God. Consider these verses. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God what remains on Him. You see, the wrath of God was established at the beginning of time on sin. We were warned. If you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and evil, you shall surely what? die there is the wrath and judgment of god upon any disobedience mankind was warned and mankind chose the wrath of god and broke covenant with god so mankind has always been under the the consequences of sin which is death with it which is the judgment of god and and paul put it very simply in the book of romans he's here's a really good test he says even though there was not the law of god man was still sinful how do we know this because between adam and moses 
what happened to all the people that ever lived between Adam and Moses? They died. Do the math. If they died and the wages of sin is death, come on, where's your algebra? If A equals B and B equals C, A equals C. If all those people died between before even the law that pointed out sin and death, if Adam to Moses all the people died, therefore they were all sinners. There's none not righteous, not one. That was Paul's logical argument in the book of Romans. And so we see that all have sinned and God's wrath is upon every human being. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It is frustrating to try to serve God while the majority of the world is unrighteous and evil and even nice. There's nice people too, but we're all sinners. It's hard to see the wicked prosper. How many of you have ever had that conversation with God? Why do the wicked prosper? How long, O God? But when you put it in the perspective of what God is allowing, there is not going to be any who will escape the judgment of God. None. Ephesians 5, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. There will never be a time where someone will escape the judgment of God. All mankind will be judged. God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. Now, here's the thing about this judgment. Uh, People don't like this concept. They say God's an angry God. Yes, He's very angry against sin. Now, if if, if you harbor sin, if you are uh, one who creates and generates sin, you've got a problem because that sin is rebellion against God. So what we need to do is get rid of that sin off of you because you're the object of His affection. But the sin that we are bearing and promoting is the object of His anger. There's a problem with that, wouldn't you say? So we somehow have to separate that sin and stop producing it and remove it from our lives so that we can receive His love and not His anger and judgment on sin. This is simple enough, isn't it? Now, here's the thing. God is a righteous God. He's perfect in His judgment. There will be no lack of evidence at our trial. There'll be no lack of evidence. There'll be no lack of witnesses. Does God miss sin? Does He not see it? Is someone going to get away with it at the judgment seat of God? (laughs) He didn't see what I did last week. I'm sorry. (laughs) But the Bible tells us fully that God records every action of man. And we will have to, Romans 14 says, give account for every deed we did in the body, physically, all your life. Everything's been recorded. Not only does he say that, but we will have to give account for every word spoken. Yikes. Not only that, but he also goes on further and says, we will be judged for every intent of the heart. God is holy and righteous and cannot allow any sin birthed or generated in this planet to exist without His wrath or hatred to come upon it. It has no right to be here. Yet we create it and generate it. 
and it must all be judged. Does this make God bad? Absolutely not. It makes Him good. Do you see this? If He didn't judge it, He would be bad. So don't shrink back from sharing this with people. His wrath is perfect. He can't leave a single sin unpunished. Some say, well, God's just vengeful. Vengeance is mine. He's just angry, crotchety. He's been around too long. We've annoyed him too long. It's just Now, his perfection will not allow that. There's, there's something within God that it says, it is appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. In Psalm 711, where it says he displays his wrath every day, you could paraphrase it this way. God is angry every day at sin. He must be. Could you imagine a day that we wake up and God doesn't care about sin anymore? Wow, what would happen to this planet? What would happen in the bigger scheme of our salvation? God is angry, He's righteous, He displays His wrath every day against sin. And He must so that righteousness and holiness is upheld. If He didn't care about sin, He would have then conceded this world to Satan. So we cannot have that. God's vengeful, God's angry. Listen, truth I want you to get into this, this into your heart. Truth will never negotiate with a lie. Truth will never negotiate with a lie. If it does, it stops being true. Truth must always conquer a lie, or it won't be truth. Isn't it that simple? So therefore... Jesus, who is the truth, the life, and the way, must always stand in authority and power over all lies and sin and evil. He can never excuse it or never remove it or allow it to exist any further than it is. It must always be punished and under His authority. It cannot negotiate with a lie or he will stop being truth. God will stop being God. If God does not have anger against sin and wrath against evil and truth against a lie, he will stop being God. So this is non-negotiable. But yet the church is negotiating this with the world continually. We're going to get into a study on why hell exists and the righteousness of hell the right reason there is a hell so that you can defend it because the church is leaving it behind. The church is leaving the judgment and wrath of God behind because it seems, well, basically we don't think anymore. We feel. We feel. I just can't relate to a God who's so angry. It's because you don't know holiness. You don't understand what's good. We just want what we want. You don't want fair. That's the one thing nobody wants. But we keep saying, it's not fair! It's not fair! Well, when God pulls out fair, the flames come up. 
Because what's fair is there's none righteous, no, not one, not even one. And we are all damned and condemned to the sin. You see, brothers and sisters, we have got to get the sense of this because we don't have it in our own lives. God daily hates sin. He hates the lies. He hates all that is contradictory. Oh, if we would get the heart of God against sin in our own lives. Look at, how could you let and harbor that which is so offensive to God? And I'm speaking to me, you don't have to be here. How could I harbor something so offensive to a holy God in my life? How could I let these thoughts continue to perpetuate and in my own heart develop concepts that are so contrary to the nature that's been given to me by God? We must come back to the holiness of God and the justice of God. We must tremble and shake like the writer of Hebrews says. It's a terrible thing to be in the hands of an angry God who is a consuming fire. My Lord. My Lord. Consider these things. Consider these things. Now, we want what's fair. We want justice. Let me share with you some of the things concerning justice says this, there were warning signs that God had given throughout Scripture. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, Paul said. I took the King James there because most of the other translations say, Knowing therefore the wrath of the Lord or the judgment of God. But the word in Greek is phobia. And it's a strong word. It's what we get phobia from. It's a strong fear or dread. Paul says this, knowing therefore the dread of the Lord. In other words, God's wrath, His righteous anger and indignation against sin. We what? We must persuade people. We must warn people. We must tell people. God would be imperfect and He would be amiss if He did not warn people about this judgment and the condition they're in. In fact, let me share with you some of the warnings of the judgment that's coming so that it'll help you in your ministry to this generation. If there's anything this generation needs, it needs to know that they are on the brink of hell. Again, the church has eliminated this in our preaching. We've said, come on, Jesus loves you, plant flowers. What we need to remind them is that we're plucking them, as Jude says, from the flames. Rescue the perishing. Now, so judgment is coming. That's the word. Let me share with you a few considerations. Now, there was a warning on day one when Adam and Eve were created. The warning was, the day you eat of this fruit of the tree of good and evil, you will surely die. Don't eat it. Is that fair? More than fair. They were with God, heard God, saw God, tasted of God's goodness, and still rejected Him. There was a warning there. Then there was another warning. God killed an animal to cover their sin. He was merciful enough, though they died spiritually that day, He showed them what sin has now done to the entire planet and all of creation. As Paul says in Romans, all of creation groans 
and waits under this oppressive spirit of death, waiting for the manifestation, the coming of the sons of God to be relieved from this wrath that all of the world is under. All right? And so he killed that lamb to portray again as a warning. And as they bring sacrifice to God, it's a continual perpetual warning of God's anger against sin that separates us from him. The object of his love is us, but the sin is the object of his wrath. And so the next warning comes, we see in Scripture, at the flood of the entire human race. Every civilization has a flood story. You can go into every ancient civilization in China, in Africa, in Egypt, in South America. They all have what they call is a flood myth. It's not a myth. It's a reality that every ancient civilization understood and knew. It's the judgment of God. It's the warning of God. But God in His mercy saved the object of His affection, mankind, through Noah and his family and separated the wickedness from it to again restore. But His judgment had to come against the the world and the earth. He again brought judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah making a clear statement on the issue of sin and saving, if you'll remember, the intercession between Abraham and God. If there's 50 righteous, would you not destroy this planet? Yes, I will. The object of his affection are the righteous, those who will obey. But his wrath comes against sin and those who will not. And in the end, what happened? Three of them got out alive. Now, we, we think of instances where we see Nadab and Abihu. I don't know if you remember them. Because these are instances where people get upset with God and say, what's he so angry about? Why is this God so mean? That Old Testament God, I like Jesus. I don't like the Old Testament God. Jesus is nice. Old Testament God's mean. Always angry. Nadab and Abihu bring a little bit of different fire and he kills them. Because God is warning the nation of Israel. He's warning the priesthood. And he warns it by killing the first who come against him. Nadab and Abihu were drunk. They were uh, raping and sleeping with the women who were coming to offer sacrifice. They come and mix their own strange fire on the altar and God kills them immediately. He killed Korah in his rebellion as well because God is warning. Now, do you think there were priests who who sinned after that? Absolutely. Why didn't he kill them all? It was a warning. How many of you remember Uzzah or Uzzah, right? The ark was coming back. It started to topple. So Uzzah, he, he, he sets it straight and immediately is killed. Oh, wow, what a bummer. Ruined the parade. Parade stops. David's done. All right, put it over there. Let's get out of here. Do you think there was ever a priest who mishandled the furniture of God or did things right or wrong or differently? I'm sure they were, but he was the example and he was the declaration that God is holy. He was the warning. How about uh, Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament? They withheld money from God, withheld their offering and lied to the Holy Spirit. Are you telling me that no one else in the New Testament has withheld money and lied to God? Why aren't they all dead? wonder how many of us would be here today. 
But it was a warning, it was a declaration that at the infant place of the church, he gave a judgment declaration, don't lie to me. But we keep lying and we keep going. He's not, you see, it's, it's not a wrathful vengeance that he's going to kill everybody that lies. He's patient with all of us. Why wasn't he patient with them? Because it was a declaration of warning. This is how you'll behave. And I'll not have this. And from then on, he has to deal with it. Miriam and Aaron speaking against Moses. Do you think they were the only ones who spoke against Moses? Why didn't everybody that spoke against Moses get leprosy? Warnings. Warnings. How about the man picking up sticks on the Sabbath? God killed him. He's just picking up sticks. Come on. You don't think anybody else broke the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath is the covenant sign between Israel and God. It's the wedding ring that Israel wears. Keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. It shall be a sign between me and thee, and it shall separate you from all other nations. It was like taking the wedding ring and throwing it off. And God, by a warning, said to Israel, I'll have none of this. With the rest, he's been tolerant. God's not intolerant. God is very patient with us. He gave us the law, didn't he? To show us exactly what sin is. The greatest warning sign of all, and in fact, the greatest act of mercy of all, is the cross of Jesus Christ. If there is any display greater than the wrath of God, it's Jesus on the cross. Now, we see it because it's our salvation as the love of God and the mercy of God. But can I show you the perfection of His attributes? Again, if His love is perfect, His judgment must be perfect. If His mercy is perfect, so is His anger. And it's displayed at the cross. Again, Paul said this in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And as he's talking about human history and the wrath of God that's being poured out, there was no greater literal manifestation of the wrath of God coming from heaven than that which was upon His own Son. Get this. Get this. That God's wrath against sin must be executed. He could not allow any sin to go unpunished. Yet His love for us is immeasurable. And so at the cross, His perfect judgment and His perfect love was executed. I want you to understand one thing. There is not a single sin that will ever go unpunished. Don't think for a minute that your forgiveness of sin had no cost to the holiness of God. Don't ever think for a minute that because you're forgiven, God excuses your sin. This is what's really wrong with our theology. We think that if we believe in the cross and say, click our heels three times, there's no place like the cross, there's no place like the cross, there's no place like the cross. We really think that's the magic potion. Can I tell you something? Unless you identify yourself with Christ on that cross, I was crucified with cross, Christ. It's no longer I who live. Don't think for a minute that God looks at you and says, oh, yeah, you're great. I'm just going to forget about your sin. 
Every sin that you and I have ever committed was judged, was the wrath of God came down upon it because it was put on Jesus Christ. There is no sin that will ever be unpunished or unjudged. It was all judged on the shoulders and on the body of Jesus Christ. Every sin. And we, we talk to people as if, hey, your sins are forgiven. They just go away. It's great. Come on, you can have it. And he just pardons your sin. He never pardoned sin. He paid for every single sin that ever exists on planet earth upon his beloved son. God, how could we so foolishly trespass upon that blood? The sins of yesterday, the sins of today, and the sins we commit tomorrow all have been paid for by the love of God, but the holy perfection of God can never let it go. His love for you is immense, immeasurable, and eternal, but His holiness cost Him everything. My God, what have we done with it? What have we done with the holiness of God for our benefit? Who are we, people? Who are we? That we would strut as those forgiven and those are unrighteous. Really? If anything, we should be on our face thanking God that His judgment was spared from me and put on His Son. That's why I can worship Him for eternity because that's how long my punishment was supposed to last i will eternally worship my savior and be grateful to him because that sin was supposed to be on me forever and he held that judgment from me for eternity my god my god when will we wake up When will we begin to see this gospel and the power of His glory? Paul says in Thessalonians, Jesus delivered us from the wrath to come. This is awesome. We will never, ever receive the wrath of God. How can this be? How can this be? What a love for what He did by perfecting His love and His justice In the cross, whoever puts their faith in what Christ did as a substitute atonement for us will forever be free from the wrath of God. Hallelujah. I can praise Him forever for that. Amen? Free! Free. You will not be judged for your sin. You will not be judged for your sin. Where does that leave us? Grateful forever grateful and why you and not that person oh i gotta get to that person i gotta get to my aunt my uncle and my sister and my cousin and 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 my my kids friends and 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 anybody i know and i've got to tell them this awesome and amazing god who who is worthy, who cannot be compared by any other God, any other religion, any other myth. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We are free from the wrath and the judgment of God who must execute judgment. But because of what Christ did, we're free. 
That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we will be forever grateful. So which side of God's judgment are you on? The same wrath and the same fury and the same anger that God has against sin on the other side of the cross. That is the same power and anger and wrath that He will protect you from the enemy and those who hate you. Wow. What side of the cross are you on? Are you on the side where His wrath is yet to come upon you? Or are you on this side of the cross where His wrath has been appeased by the blood of Jesus and the power now stands for you, not against you? Where will you stand now with the wrath of God? Let's bow our heads.